0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Do you ever wish you could change the circumstances in your life? You know, there are things that I have to deal with today that I wish I didn't have to deal with. And, and there are things that come into our lives that we have to deal with that, that have, we didn't choose them. They come to us. The harder things, I think, to deal with are the circumstances that are in our lives today because of bad choices we made in the past and that we regret. So we've been talking about no regrets, no regrets. I mean, the reality is we all have regrets. If you've lived any length of time, you have some regrets. But so when we're talking about no regrets, here's what we mean. We want to have no regrets from our past that are still somehow rather running our lives today where we are overwhelmed by those choices and and aren't able to do what we need to be doing. We need to address those properly so we can be free to go on and live the way the Lord wants us to. And we're also talking about how do we live today so that we don't have regrets tomorrow, the next day and the next year. You know, learning what we can about that. And so we've been in this series. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Esau's life. You remember Esau valued the wrong things? And as a result, he made choices that he regretted, but rather than, you know, Owning that and turning to the Lord in it, he became bitter. And in becoming bitter, he messed himself up and a lot of other people. And we said, we, we, we can't afford to become bitter. We need to forgive, don't we? Yeah. We need to forgive whoever needs to be forgiven so we can be free to move on with our lives with the Lord. Then last week, we looked at Judas and saw how he was overcome with this sorrow about what he had done, so much to the point he gave up on life. But we saw that Judas had wrong motives. He had wrong motives from the beginning, wrong motives that motivated his choices. And even in his sorrow, his motives were wrong, his motives were self-centered. And we talked about, contrast it with a godly sorrow that leads us to make changes in our lives. And so we gotta make sure that our motives are right, even in our sorrow. So that we aren't overcome with sorrow and give up. And that brings us to today, what we want to talk about. And and this, you know, if you don't become bitter and you don't become overwhelmed with sorrow because you're sorrowing with the wrong motives, and you're sorrowing for the right motives and you're trying to make changes. Here's where I think regrets begin to give us the biggest problem. And that's that. Okay, I made bad choices back there. Maybe one bad, really big bad choice or a whole series of bad choices, whatever. And, you know, I I didn't become bitter and I, I sorrowed in the right way with the right motives before God. But the problem is, is that because of choices I made back then, there are circumstances in my life today that I have to deal with. Broken relationships and what that means in my life today. Maybe physical problems in my life today because of choices back then, whatever. But there are circumstances in our lives which we can't change that came about because of choices that we made in the past. And so, do you ever wish you could change the circumstances? Anybody, besides me? I like to change the circumstances of my life sometimes. I really, really would but I might as well say there's no law of gravity and float up in the air because we are not able to change those circumstances that are in our lives. We can respond differently to them, but we can't change them. And so how do we honor God in the middle of those things? And if we don't, We're allowing those regrets and what they cause to prevent us from honoring God. So we really need to get a hold of this. And so today we want to look at King David. Now, King David is a really big deal in the Bible. I don't know if you aren't familiar with King David. You've probably heard of... Finish this. The Lord is my... This is King David who wrote that, okay? He gave us 75 to 80 of our Psalms. Okay, he's a really big deal, he's a really big deal in the whole scheme of God's plan. He is probably the most important king in the Bible besides King Jesus, okay, because of the promises made to David and the fact that when Christ comes, it says he's going to, and sets up his kingdom on earth, he will be seated on the throne of David, it's from that lineage. And so King David really, really, uh, would you say a hero of the faith? King David, what a great example. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We see that King David lived in such a way and made choices that brought him great regrets in his life. We want to learn from him today about how we need to respond to those things. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when... Oh, by the way, if you don't have your own Bible with you, we really encourage you to follow along. Pick up one of those Bibles under the chairs there and turn to page 360 and follow along with us. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, so you understand, there was a time, and this is a culture back then, is that when a country went to war, the king led them into war. The king went with them. Now, he wasn't on the front of the battle, but he uh, went out with the armies, okay? He was the one who was out there in the field, leading, directing. I just thought that'd be, that'd be kind of interesting if we required that out of our presidents, wouldn't it? May that change when we end up at war? (laughs) Where we do it? But anyway, that was what kings did. That was their responsibility to do that. And what we see here is King David, it's time to do this, but he doesn't do it. He does not fulfill his responsibility to lead his people out into battle. Instead, he sends Joab, Joab off with the armies, and David stays behind. and we don't know for sure why, we aren't told. Uh, David is just almost 50 years old at this time. He's been king for just about 20 years because he started off as a teenager where God chose him and anointed him to be king, but he didn't really become king of all of Israel. In other words, all of Israel finally accepts him as their king until he was about 30 years old. And so he's been king for about 20 years now. And for some reason or other, he just doesn't go out this time, he stays home. And because he hasn't fulfilled his responsibility, he is now going to be exposed to things that he never would have been exposed to had he been responsible. And he's going to be tempted with things he never would have been tempted with. And he's going to do things he never would have done if he had just gone out and fulfilled his responsibility as the king. So he sends them, he stays behind. Verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now this is a little bit, you know, strange to us, the idea of, of, you know, going up on the roof, first of all. You know, if I tried to put a bathtub on my roof, you know, it would be problems for lots of reasons, Okay. And it just wouldn't work, but these are flat roof houses. It is a a culture where things get very hot, and so in the evenings, people sometimes would go up on their rooftops, and and they would even go up and they could bathe at night on the rooftops, Uh, because generally speaking, on the rooftop, a flat roof, you know, you're away, and you have privacy, and people can't see you, except for the king's house, which is higher, it's bigger, it's taller. And where was the king supposed to be? The expectation the king was out with his army, but he wasn't. And so this woman is bathing, and and, uh, David sees her, and she's a very beautiful woman. Verse 3, so David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, is is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now, those names on the face of it don't mean much to us, but here's who it was. They're really saying, well, David, don't you know who this is? Because Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam, and Eliam is the son of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was one of David's counselors, you know, wisdom, going to him for mentoring and wisdom about how do I lead, what do I do. Ahithophel, so he was very close to him. So this is Ahithophel, one of David's advisors' granddaughters. Probably had grown up around David. Okay. Then she's married to a man named Uriah, and Uriah is a Hittite. And and, uh, uh, Hittites, uh, they were not Jewish by birth, they were of a different nationality, but Uriah had somehow rather become a Jewish convert, and probably because of David's relationship with him. Because there was a time in David's life when he was out there trying to survive, running from Saul, where people came to him who were not necessarily Jewish people. And I think Uriah was one of these. And Uriah becomes a follower of the true God. Not only that, Uriah excels in battle. He is one of those soldiers who is just a soldier of soldiers. And one of David's right-hand men, the Bible calls them David's mighty men, this small group of soldiers, and Uriah is one of those. And so David knows Uriah very well. He has served side-by-side with him in combat, and, and Uriah has this reputation of being loyal to, to do, whatever you want me to do, David? I will go do it. Whether you're going to live or die, he's going to go do it for David. He is loyal, loyal, loyal to David. And so this is who Bathsheba is. Uriah's wife and uh, one of David's longtime advisors, granddaughter. Verse Verse 4. <clears throat> David makes the terrible decision. Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. This idea of cleansed from her impurity is a reference to uh, her monthly cycle. And what had happened there. And really it's in here to make it clear that she was not pregnant. She's not expecting a child. Okay. Okay. Verse 5, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now, before I go any farther, let me say this. Uh, It's interesting that the Bible never lays this whole sin at Bathsheba's feet in any way, it never faults her in it. And we would think that she had a certain measure of fault, and maybe she did, I don't know. But he's the king, and the king has absolute authority in the kingdom. Uh, she's grown up seeing David as the king, as this awesome man who loves God, and I don't know. But she has never faulted for this, okay? David is. But so David has her; he has her brought to him. He has intimate sexual relations with her. Sends her home. She's pregnant. And she sends to David. All of a sudden, you start thinking about decisions you might regret, don't you? What's David going to do? What would be the right thing to do? Well, we know that David didn't make the right choice. And we aren't going to read these verses, but you go on. David does what we all have a natural tendency to do, and that is to cover this up. He's going to cover it up. And how's he going to cover it up? Well, David has an idea. So he sends out to the armies and says, send Uriah back from the battle. Send Uriah home and have him give me a report of the battle. And so Uriah comes back and tells him how the battle's going. And then David says, hey, now that you're here, why don't you just hang around? Why don't you go home? Spend the evening with your wife. You've been away for quite a while now. Come, you know. It's his plan. then it can be Uriah's child. Well, Uriah is so loyal to David and loyal to all of his fellow soldiers that he doesn't go home that night. Instead, he stays right there in the palace and sleeps with the servants because he says, there is absolutely no way while my fellow soldiers, my brothers are out there in combat, their lives are at risk. There's no way I'm going to go home and just enjoy myself. I'm not going to do that. And he doesn't go home. <laughs> well, that messes up David's plan, doesn't it? So David has him stick around longer. And David, one evening, gets him drunk, thinking if I can get him drunk, psst, he'll go home. Even when he drunk, Uriah's integrity shows through because he does not go home. And David's beside himself. What am I going to do? How am I going to cover this up? How can I make this be Uriah's child and not mine? So he... Finally says, okay, and he writes a letter to the commander of the army, seals it up, and gives it to Uriah and says, here, take this back to commander Joab. And Uriah takes the letter back to Joab, gives it to Joab, and then goes back out with the soldiers. And Joab opens the letter, and it says, basically, I want you to put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle, the most dangerous part of the battle, and I want you to do whatever it takes to make sure that Uriah doesn't survive the battle. Uriah must die. Joab does that. And then sends word back to David that Uriah is dead. Is David complicating his mess? Hugely so. So let's pick up on this story. Word has come back to David that Uriah is dead, and then word comes to Bathsheba. Verse 26 of chapter 11. says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I have to think that that sentence is one of the... uh, Biggest understatements in the Bible. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so the Lord sends a prophet to him. He sends Nathan, a spokesperson for God. And he comes and he confronts David about this. And a really interesting story. You take time, read it on your own, how he does that. He really engages David's heart and then exposes David. Here's what you have done and exposes the sin to him. Then the Lord speaks to him, verse 9 of chapter 12. He says to David, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. And, And talking about in the sight of the sun, he means openly where everybody can see. There's not hidden away somewhere at night. In the middle of the day when people will see and know, verse 12, for you did it secretly, But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. It will be seen and known to all. You've tried to cover up, David, but it's all coming out in a bad way. And so he's told David here, trouble in your household from now on. And this is going to happen in a big and bad way. I mean, there's an incestuous rape that takes place within David's household. There's a revenge killing by a brother because of that that takes place in his household. And this brother is banished for a while and finally allowed to come back. But this brother is so upset that he uh, leads a rebellion against his father, against King David. David has to flee for his life. And and then David's heart is broken when this young man is killed, and it just goes on and on. Even up to right before David dies and passes on the the crown to his son Solomon, he's dealing with things. You talk about circumstances in your life today because of what you did in the past. For twenty years David has circumstances in his life that are the result of a choice. Do you think he had any regret? Huge regrets. He probably wished he could make those circumstances go away. Let's continue reading. Verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. I mean, uh, sometimes I mean I, I, the Bible doesn't always include everything said. I got—I th- I feel like there must have been more to that conversation, don't you? I've sinned, okay. God's forgiven you. You're not going to die. But I would say this: Does God know our hearts? God absolutely knows our hearts, and he knew David's heart. And he knew that the, the, what David had just expressed came from deep down in his heart. He knew that David was real in this. And he said, okay, I forgive you, and you will not die for this. Because rightfully, he could have been put to death for it. And uh, some way, I, it's hard to fathom, right? Isn't this a lot bigger than that? Doesn't this seem a lot bigger than that? What's going on? How can it just be solved? Well, I'll tell you what, April 4th, 1975. I'm 19 years old. About 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night, I say, God, I have sinned against you. I've sinned. I believe your son died for my sins and rose again from the dead, and I receive him as my savior. And the Lord said, all right, you're forgiven. You don't die. No, no second death, right? Eternal life. So maybe it's not as strange as it seems for just to be stated that way. When our hearts are truly broken before God and we come to him humbly and cry out to him and confess to him, and he knows what's the reality in our hearts, he always forgives. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? Such good news. And so God knows to change. Now, that doesn't take away all those things that God said. All those things that God said are still going to happen. All the the negative circumstances in David's life going forward are still going to be there. How is David going to respond to this? Let's continue to read. Verse 14. Nathan still talking to, to David. says, however... Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Now, we might think, wait a minute, is that fair? Is that right? Well, will not the judge of the earth do right? He does, and we will see. But where does this child go when this child dies? To heaven, that's right. Nothing terrible has happened to this child. He dies and goes to heaven. We can meet him one day and talk to him about, he had a significant role, he plays a significant role in this story, even as a little tiny child. And so God has not been unfair to this child. So let's read on, verse 15. "Then, Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. What's David going to do? David therefore pleaded with God for the child and, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. David, seven days, fasting, praying, asking God to spare the child. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, then he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. He might hurt himself. He might, he's already devastated. How can we give him the bad news? When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. By the way, I think that phrase is very significant. That at this place, he goes and worships the Lord. It tells us about where David's at, doesn't it? Even in the middle of this terrible circumstance. He's yielding himself to God again. The way he should have done to begin with. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, they're confused, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her. So she bore him a son and he called his name Solomon. And we'll stop there. Solomon who was gonna become that great king that we read about in the Bible. Alright, so who created David's regret? David created his regret because of his decisions, and then another decision, and another a piling on of really irresponsible decisions. His first decision not to fulfill his responsibility to go lead his armies into battle, put him in a place to be exposed to things he shouldn't have been exposed to, tempted with things he shouldn't have been tempted with, opportunity to do things he never should have done. Okay? And so he creates this regret and then by, he, he comp, um, multiplies it by adding decisions, right? Covering up and even to the point of having someone killed. God is confronting him. By the way, did David never think this was wrong? David knew it was wrong. He knew it from the beginning, God was faithful to keep after David all through this. We don't see it in this part of the story, but we have something really neat with David. It's almost like that we don't have with a lot of Bible characters. It's almost like we have a commentary about what was going on in the background of his life in the book of Psalms. Because a lot of those Psalms can be linked to events in David's life, okay? And David talks about how he was feeling During this time when he was hardening himself and and covering and and not dealing with things before God. And he says this in Psalm 32, he says, when I kept silent, my bones, deep down inside all the way in my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand, your hand, God, was heavy on me. He was feeling the pressure, but he kept saying no, kept covering, kept not dealing with and so he created these, this, this problem, and he's not dealing with it. And God is convicting him. And finally, God has to confront him openly. And that's when he sends Nathan to him. And, and we saw the response, right? David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he, he elaborates on that in a couple of Psalms. In, in Psalm 51, he says this. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. And he says something interesting, he says against you, against you only, talking to God, have I sinned and done evil in your sight. Well, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Did he sin against Bathsheba? Did he sin against Uriah? Did he sin against his nation? Yeah, a couple things. One is that we have to understand that this is, is poetry, Psalms is poetry, and David's trying to express From the heart, some things that are true here. And here's the reality: is who was his biggest sin against? It was against God. And so when he sinned against Bathsheba, which which he did, it was even a bigger sin against God. And when he sinned against Uriah, it was even a bigger sin against God. And David is overwhelmed with his sin against God. And I acknowledge that, and I have done this. And then in Psalm 32, verse 5, he says, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Do you have any regrets that were sins? Many of our regrets, maybe most of our regrets, are sins that we committed. God will forgive. He's already paid the price in Christ. But I want you to see what David did here. David, when he finally gets it and and he breaks before the Lord and says, I have sinned. I have, have, you know, I've sinned against these people. I've sinned against you even more. And and he's broken now before God and he wants to do what's right. And God has pronounced all these things that have come upon him. And then he says, the child is going to die. The first... And biggest, the first consequence, I shouldn't say the biggest, but it's biggest at the moment that is in David's face that he's having to deal with is the fact that this child is sick and is probably going to die. So what did David do? He could have just done what? Oh, well, can't do anything about this. But what did he do? He went before the Lord and did what he could do which was ask God to spare the child, even though he knew God's probably not going to do that. But this is what I can now do to respond rightly in this situation, because he hadn't been responding rightly before. And so David is trying to make the best of the circumstances. And that's what you and I need to learn from here. One of the things we need to learn. We need to make the best of the circumstances by honoring God in them. Now, when we say make the best of circumstances, you think, oh, well, that's just settle, right? Just gonna settle. This is just the way it is. No, that's the wrong way to think about it. We want to think of the way David did, and that in the middle of this, wait a minute, I have an opportunity here to do something that honors God. I have an opportunity to do something here that expresses my heart before God, which is right now with God. I have the opportunity to try to make a difference. And, and so that's what he did. He made the best of those circumstances by honoring God in them. And we need to learn to do the same, not to be overwhelmed by the circumstances, but to make the best of them. It's not settling, it is an opportunity. And David's responses as we go on through the years here are not perfect, but David's responses of making the best of his circumstances are inspiring. And we learn so much from David and the rest of his life. All right, so we wanna talk about how do we, what can we learn that will help us to deal with our past regrets? What can we do? It is crucial if you are not, if you're going to be able to deal with circumstances now and not be overwhelmed by them, that you take responsibility for whatever you did that was wrong. Don't take anybody else's responsibility. But you need to own all of yours. Because it's only then that you can go before God and say, oh God, I did that. Against you and you only have I sinned. It's crucial that you deal with it. Um, the Bible says, He who covers his sins shall not prosper. And so if you just keep them back there and don't deal with them, you cover them up, it's not going to work. It says, But he who confesses, admits it, and forsakes it will find mercy from God. And here's the other thing. When, when you say, I did, uh, I did sin against God, I sinned against these people too, but I sinned against God in this way. Oh God, I have sinned against you. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins. And more than that, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to clean us up. See, and it's by going back and acknowledging those things in my past that I did that were wrong, by being honest about them, admitting them, owning them, confessing to God, that I can be set free from their control in my life. They don't have to control my life anymore. Now, I have these circumstances that I have to deal with now, but I'm dealing with those circumstances with a heart that's free and clean, as opposed to a heart that's burdened down and guilty. See how important it is? Own the responsibility and make it right before God. Be responsible now. And and so um, what about the future then? What can we learn that we can avoid future? (laughs) It's really pretty straightforward. How did David get in trouble to start with? How did he get in trouble to start with? By not fulfilling his responsibility. It was his responsibility to go lead his armies to battle. He didn't do it. He set aside his responsibility. You know, I have, I think about this, so I, I am a, a Christian. I have responsibilities before God. I am a husband, responsibilities to my wife. I am a father, responsibilities to my children. Grandfather, responsibilities to my grandchildren. I have friends that I have responsibilities to them. I'm a pastor, I have responsibilities to the church. I am a citizen, responsibilities in my nation. and. Do you ever get tired of feeling like you got all these responsibilities? And the enemy comes along and whispers in your ear, wouldn't it be better if you just did something different? How many men and women reach these middle stages of their lives and they throw away their responsibilities and chase after something they think will satisfy them? And what's it bring in their lives? broken families, damaged children, relationships, and financial, I mean, it is such a mess. So let me say something to you. When, when the temptation comes for you to set aside whatever your responsibilities are, when the temptation comes, and it's saying, oh man, if you'll just set this aside, there's something really awesome for you. It's a lie. It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a, lie. It's a what? It's a lie. Don't believe it. God is the one who's overseeing your life, and if he has put you in a place where you have responsibilities that are from him, be faithful in them. Really, really crucial. Not only will it protect you from regrets tomorrow, it's actually going to change your life, because here's the deal about your responsibilities. Your responsibilities. Faithfulness now brings freedom later. Unfaithfulness now brings regret later. Okay, so let's be responsible now. Will help you to avoid future regrets. Don't follow David's example. All right, so that's typically where we kind of end up, but we're not done today because I got a couple other really important lessons that we need to learn from this passage. When we go to the Bible and we go back, I think it's in 1 Samuel 13, 14, something, but it talks about this young man that God is going to anoint as king. And it says, God talks about, I chose a man who has a heart like mine. A man who has my heart, God's heart. In the book of Acts, it refers to him that way. A man after God's own heart. And it's talking about David. Adulterer, murderer, a man after God's own heart. What's the deal? Well, here's the deal. Failure doesn't define who you are unless you let it. Because the reality is what God said about David was true. He was a man after God's own heart. That is who David really was. And he's a good man who made terrible decisions at this point in his life. But scripture records him nonetheless as a man after God's heart. Before this event and after this event, it puts it in there. And so while we know this about David, this story, typically when we think about David, that isn't what we think of, is it? We don't usually think of this first. We think of all the other things about David. But see, the enemy, Satan wants you to believe that your failures do define you. They want you to believe that's who you are, that's the way you are. But you need to believe what God says about you and when, if you know Christ as Savior, you are not those things. So when you fail, You need to turn to the Lord like David did and then believe what God says about you and who you are and what he wants to do in your life. The second thing, second lesson is this. And probably the most valuable lesson out of all this today, I think, is that God is the God of the second chance. Sounds cliche, doesn't it? But he is the God of the second chance. He's the God of the second second chance and the God of the third second chance and the fourth second chance. And opportunity after opportunity, he gives us an opportunity for a fresh start. And that's what, because eh, what do we say regret should do? We, we have regrets and we are sorry for them and we turn to the Lord and we, we, we value the right things and we have the right motives and now we are, are being responsible again now to do what's right and taking responsibility for the past. That puts us in a place to get it right. To get it right going forward. Aren't you glad God gives us a second chance? Multiple chances? Opportunity after opportunity to get it right going forward. I want to do something just a little bit different here. I'm going to take the last, I've got about, about four minutes here, four to five minutes. And I want to talk to you about second chances. As I told you, David was about 50 years old when these events take place, give or take a little. 20 more years he lives. After this, he writes just about 40% of his psalms after these events. I want you to see what David did with his second chance and what he left for us. And these are just highlights, okay? So don't normally do this, but I'm just going to read through some of these psalms for about four minutes it's going to take here. So follow along and see. This is what God gave us because David took advantage of this new opportunity to get it right. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is what? Jesus quoted David on the cross. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and, and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. God is a refuge for us. A father of the fatherless. A defender of widows is God. God sets the solitary in families. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Aren't you glad that David took advantage of that new opportunity God gave him? And he didn't let all these difficult circumstances of his life overwhelming. He had already owned the responsibility he'd set free from it and he's responding responsibly and properly now to honor God in these circumstances. And as I uh, went through the Psalms, looking at these and, and choosing these verses, I realized later that all of these, all of these at one time or another in my life, I have memorized and meditated on. I'm so glad that David took that opportunity. And you and I have the same opportunity. We have the same opportunity to Go forward, own our responsibilities, be responsible today in these circumstances, and honor God along the way. You know, that's all you could ever do any day, is honor God in these circumstances. And you'll be glad you did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that you deal with these ugly things so that we might deal with the ugly things in our own lives. Thank you for David's example of being a real person, humbling himself before you, taking advantage of these opportunities. I pray, Father, in our individual lives that we would do this. We'd own our responsibilities from the past and receive your forgiveness and cleaning up and freedom so we might honor you today in these circumstances that we have. And I pray, Father, that we will be a church full of people like this. A church full of people who have hope. A church full of people that when someone comes in or when we go out, that people can sense that there's hope. There's hope in you. And many will be drawn to you because of it, Father. Be honored and glorified in this as we go from here today, and I pray it in Jesus' name.